Hey, everyone. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know again about the survey we put out for Empower Apps. I want to get your feedback on the last 50 episodes and what you think could improve the show, what topics, what guests you really like, what would you like to hear or see. Please let me know. URL is in the link in the show notes. Also, I am planning on doing a Q&A as well. So if you have any questions, please do reach out to me or you can even let me know in the survey as well what questions you might have for the next episode that you'd like me to answer, either about making the podcast, about specific technical topics. Uh, reach out and let me know. Uh, you could also ask me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion or email me if you prefer, leo at brightdigit.com. I'd love to hear back both about your comments about the show and how you think it or any questions you want answered on our 50th episode. Thanks again, and uh, let the episode start. Welcome to another episode of Empower App Show. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today we have with us Tibor Bodex. Hey, Tibor, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. What about you? Good, good. How's the working from home? Yeah, I'm working from home for three years now, so nothing new for me. I live in the countryside, so this Corona <laughs> COVID thing was not so heavy here in Hungary. Yeah. Are you by yourself? No, I live with my family, two little kids and my wife. Okay. Uh, are they usually home all the time when you work from home? Yeah, sometimes. This can be tough. Yeah, so that, I'm just curious. Yeah, because I have little ones. I think they're watching something downstairs right now. So, yeah, I think that to me is the biggest transition and just not being able to get out of the house and go somewhere to work. But we're getting by. We're getting by. So we had an announcement last week that we actually have a date now for WWDC 2020. Last episode, I wasn't so certain that was going to happen. And right after I posted it, uh, they made the announcement. Are you, what's your expectations for WWDC 2020? Yeah, I'm really hoping for better, better tools for the Swift language, like maybe Swift only IDA. That would be really good, especially for server side Swift projects. So that's one of my biggest expectations. Apart from this, I think we will see. An updated version of Swift UI, that's for sure. Yeah, I think so. Maybe some new iMacs, new devices. Yeah, I mean, they did a lot this year, a lot of updates. So, And I also think that they're not going to push a lot of stuff, especially with the current situation. I think they might wait on updating. Well, if they do update, I guess they're not going to do a big like remodeling. It's more going to be just like, like uh, spec updates. So I, w- I would be surprised if they get come out with a new model necessarily for the iMac or iMac Pro. But yeah, probably at least spec updates, I would assume, because it's been a while with the iMac and iMac Pro. Yeah. What do you use right now? Uh, I'm using a MacBook Pro from 16. So it's a 15-inch one with a butterfly keyboard. I had to replace the top case nine times. So it's crazy. No, 2016, is that the one with the, that, that's the one with the other, the, the new keyboard. That's the new butterfly, right? No, no, the, the very first model, the 15 inch from this series, okay. not the 16 yeah. inch. So, so yeah. And you had to replace the top case nine times? Yes. <laughs> Why is that? 
first time some leathers were just simply stopped working. Another time my leather eye popped out from the keyboard. I had oh issues gosh. with the mic. I had issues with with the USB ports. It was a real struggle. Are you looking at getting a 2020 model then since they replaced the keyboard? Yeah, I've heard some good things about the latest model and some bad news. I'm waiting for the next generation. We will see. What's the bad thing you've heard about the newest uh, 16-inch? Yeah, freezes, kernel panics, some hardware issues. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I could see how you'd be a little bit hesitant about that. Yeah. I'm I'm also thinking about switching to an iMac since I'm working from home. Makes sense to buy another machine and put this, you know, away for a little while. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I love my iMac. They're great. Hey, everyone. I want to let you know about Audible. Audible is a leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. I want to let you know about a few books that I've been reading or have been listening to using Audible. One book I want to recommend is Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know by Malcolm Gladwell. As somebody who runs his own business, it's always helpful to understand and be able to interpret how people react or how people act in certain situations. And Talking to Strangers is a great book by Malcolm Gladwell. This book really investigates how we misinterpret people in all sorts of situations, everything from Bernie Madoff to Amanda Knox to uh, some of the situations of the news lately, uh, African-Americans. And I think uh, I highly, highly recommend this book and I highly recommend it through Audible because not only is it a reading of the book, but he also, Malcolm has his own podcast company and he understands the importance of having audio within the book of these actual situations that he talks about as well as like hearing about different court cases and court transcripts being brought to life, military psychologists, scientists, criminologists, etc. The real people, the real interviews of the real people, the audio of those interviews are in the uh, audible book. So I highly recommend it. And if you are interested you can go to www.audibletrial.com slash empowerapps and you will get two free audiobooks free. Just go again to the link in the show notes, audibletrial.com slash empowerapps to get your free two audiobooks. Thank you again for listening to the program and thank you, Audible, for supporting our show. So you have a book that's, is it out now or is it, it's going to probably be out by the time we release this episode, correct? Yeah, it's pre-released. So the final version will come on the 24th of May. Now it's in early beta phase. I still have to write five more chapters. I'm currently working on the CI uh, chapter. It's So what's the name of this book again? Practical Server Side Swift. Okay. 
So today I, I really wanted to talk about uh, the book and then also talk about Vapor, Vapor 4 specifically. We had Tim on a couple of months ago and we've done episodes recently on backend stuff. But I've started uh, migrating my app over to Vapor 4 from Vapor 3 and that was a success. It was surprisingly not as bad as I thought it was going to be. There's definitely some big changes. I think good changes in a lot of ways and some not too crazy about which we'll talk about as well. But uh, tell us a little bit about what you do right now. Uh, what's your current position? Yeah, so currently I'm working on a book and I'm trying to make an open source blog engine. To uh, That blog engine already powers my blog, but I want to make it open source and it's going to be modular and I still have some features that I want to implement. It's going to relate some language dynamism. Let's just say that. Okay. It's it's really interesting and I believe it's gonna be really amazing if if I can make it finally. Very cool. And your blog is the Swift Dev, correct? Yes, that's my blog. So today I wanted to talk first about what's the big differences that have come out with uh Vapor four as opposed to Vapor three. What what have you noticed that were the biggest differences between the two versions? Yeah, in my opinion, Fluent uh, was the biggest difference. Version 4 of the Fluent framework is entirely new. It's way better than it was before uh, because the abstraction layer now allows you to switch between database drivers seamlessly. So that's a really big improvement. Also, the new command API is really good. I just played around with the new testing framework. That's also really good. And of course, some minor changes like HTTP2 support through SwiftNIO. It's also good. And many, many more smaller or bigger changes. Yeah. One of the big differences I saw is the way they're using property wrappers, uh, similar to how SwiftUI does it. Bringing that in when it comes to setting up your fields for your database models is really interesting. You, what was the other API you said? Command API? Yeah, for writing command line utility tools. Uh, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, for example, you know, when you run a migration script, uh, you have to plot pass around the migrate argument. You can write your own commands and wire those commands into your Vapor app. So for example, if you need to move around some files or uh, do some utility tooling, then you can write your own command and use that with this new command API. It's similar like the Swift argument parser library. It helps you to write command line utility tools. And it's even more because it has support for loading bars and colorful messages displaying and logging all kinds of stuff. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been working with the Swift argument powers for quite a bit. So it's good to see they have like something similar to that when it comes to server side commands that you're going to need because I know. Go ahead. Yeah, but the good thing is with the new command API that if you need to hook up a database connection, Vapor is there for you. So you can use, you can take advantage of the existing Fluent framework and the drivers. So I think that's a big plus if it comes to writing command line utilities. 
So like we were talking about over the weekend, uh, I worked on upgrading Heart Twitch uh, from Vapor 3 to Vapor 4. Yeah, the big one was Fluent. And then some of the way that it does dependency injection, correct me if I'm wrong, if that's the right term, but like the way services are hooked up, uh, that there seems... Yeah, the new service layer. Yeah, explain how that works to our audience. Yeah, uh, Vapor uses services. For example, the... HTTP server is written as a service. So a service is an underlying component that you can use through the entire application. So this service layer allows you to configure different kind of things in your Vapor application. For example, you can add a new HTTP server port, I mean, configure new port through this service layer. Also, you can register view engine through services, or you can use database layer through services. So it's kind of a core thing in Vapor. Yeah, it's one thing to wrap your head around. Like you don't really think about it when you set up your app, but once you get started, like especially as I've gotten much deeper into it, like I've gotten a better idea of how it works and how to set stuff up. What are like... What's the relationship with Vapor and Swift Neo? How do they work together? Yeah, Swift Neo is the underlying even the network application framework that powers Vapor. Basically, this allows us to use features and listen on a port and build our HTTP or HTTP2 servers. So it's a really low-level, fast, scalable component. What is HTTP2? Exactly. And what benefits are there for people using HTTP2 as opposed to the version 1, I suppose? Yeah, it provides us faster loading speed. So websites can load contents more faster. And you can also push uh, content with your first query. So, for example, if you request uh, the homepage, the index.html file, then you can instantly push down all the required files to render that page and you don't have to ask the server again for the style sheets, for the JavaScript, for assets like this. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like uh, with my current app, I've been using Vue.js for the front end and like there is a lot of CSS files and JavaScript files that end up getting loaded. So it makes total sense that like HTTP2 would be a big improvement for like your single page application uh, type. Yes, it is definitely. Yeah. What are some prerequisites like people need in order to get started with Vapor? Mm, Vapor 4 runs on Swift 5.2 or a newer version you can use. Okay. Yeah, pretty much that's it. If you have Swift installed on your machine, then you're good to go with Vapor. You can install the Vapor toolbox, which is a really convenient tool to bootstrap your projects so you don't have to set up all your dependencies by hand. Vapor toolbox can be used both on macOS and Linux. So, What distros uh, of Linux are currently supported? I know like Ubuntu 16 and 18 are the big ones. Yeah, officially those distros are supported, but I believe just recently we've got some more distributions on Swift.org. Yep. Maybe support for Amazon Linux and some more. Yeah, so I was able to get Vapor 
Actually, I was able to get Swift to work um, using the dev branch on Ubuntu 20, but I know it's not like officially supported and there should be work on a Docker image pretty soon. So it's not officially supported, but I know that they're looking at getting Swift working on Ubuntu 20, Amazon Linux. And I think it was CentOS uh, were the major distros that they're hoping to support soon. So I assume as long as Swift works on those, then Vapor should work pretty seamlessly then, correct? Yes, exactly. And I know I don't know if you saw the tweet today, but there's plans for Windows support in, in Swift 5.3. Yeah, there was an announcement uh, about Swift support on Windows. Yeah, I saw the tweet. Yeah, which will be crazy. I mean, that's all. That's awesome if we can get that. I'm glad they're really focusing on OS support. So it sounds like your recommendation, if you're going to get started, is to use the toolbox. Explain exactly what the toolbox is and how it works. It's a little handy tool that you can use to clone project templates, basically. And it will ask you if you want to use Fluent, ask you which driver you want to use, like SQLite or Postgres. And you can select driver and the system will load everything. as It, it will fetch dependencies and set up your project. And you can start writing Vapor code instantly after you create a new project using the toolbox. You don't have to mess around with dependency management and stuff like that. Right. Now, behind the scenes, Vapor is really just a Swift package, right? Yeah, yes, so that's correct. Technically, you could just set up a executable, right? And then you could just use Vapor as a dependency and then start adding your fluent dependencies if you're going to use a database and things like that. But with the toolbox, like you said, it builds the whole template for you, correct? Yes, exactly. You can use the toolbox to generate the new template, but you can also use uh, SPM to set up a new executable target and basically add your own dependencies as, as you need them. So it's possible to go both way around. And the Vapor toolbox gives you even more because it has support for deploying your Vapor application to Heroku and other stuff like that. But honestly, I'm only using the new project generator tool. So, Yeah, I would recommend anybody who's starting off is to use the toolbox by far. And I think if you're somebody with a little bit more experience, you probably could get away with just adding adding Vapor as a dependency in your Swift package. Like this weekend, all I did was just, I'm using, I actually have a Swift package right now already set up for the app. Um, and then I have, I just created two more uh, products within it for the server um, and then added Vapor that way because like I already am pretty fluent with Swift package manager anyways. But like, like you said, the toolbox comes with like the templates and all that kind of stuff that I think is really convenient for people who are starting off. And then like there's, two current versions right now, right? Because there's a beta one that uses Vapor 4, which we're talking about today, but then the current one, current release toolbox, I suppose, uses Vapor 3, correct? Yeah, the current state of Vapor is pretty much uh, confusing for most of the newbies because there's a version of the toolbox that supports version 3, and there's this new version that comes with Vapor 4, and if you don't have the latest toolbox version, you have to specify the branch like uh, slash slash uh, branch equals four after the Vapor new my project command. Right, right. And there's documentation, which is, you know, slowly getting there on the Vapor uh, code site. 
that'll explain that. Or, you know, you could buy Tiber's book and it'll explain it in there. So one of the, one of the things I think beginners also will feel challenged when they get started with the vapor four is like the structure of how the application works. Can you kind of explain like why there's like two separate, uh, there's like a library and executable. Then you have like your routes file and your configure file and your boot file and things like that. How do, how do each of these components actually work uh, in vapor? Yeah, so by default, there is a run target, which is the main executable target, and there's a library target, which is the application itself. You only use the application to write code. So everything that you make, routers, controllers, models, everything goes into the application target. And the run target is there to create this application in debugger production mode. And this is because you might want to write some unit tests for your Vapor application. So you can start the application library in testing mode during the tests. That's the main reason, because these two components are separated. Oh, that's so interesting. So basically, your separate library is there for unit testing purposes. Yes, you can start the application in um, with different environments and inputs. So... That's the main reason. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and inside your application, there are the most important file, in my opinion, is the configure, uh, the configuration, where you can set up all the things that you need. For example, Leaf, Fluent, and many more. This is where where you can add HTTP server configurations that I mentioned before using the underlying services layer. And this is where you can register your routes as well. In the configure, or you can do it in a routes file, right? Yes, you can do this in a routes file, but I'm usually not using the routes file. I'm, I'm separating the routes by modules because there is a protocol called root connection, which if you implement, you can register multiple routers so they can handle all the incoming requests. Oh, that's so interesting. I should try that out. So like explain exactly how like a route building works in Vapor 4 and how using this protocol might be helpful then. Yeah, it's uh, this protocol was available in Vapor 3 as well. So routing is quite similar as it was before. The only key difference is how version 4 handles arguments. So that's quite strange. Let's say that. And you also have to, you don't have to enter the slashes in between your past components anymore, but you can register them as individual arguments when you register a new root handler. So these are the key differences. And the other thing I've noticed is the way, rather than like specifying, the way you specify parameters and routes has changed as far as like using kind of like an ID and then being able to pull that ID from the request. Is that right? Yeah. The name in parameter support is the default behavior. So you name your parameters and then you request them back uh, using the request object. Okay. You can get the parameter by name and cast it to the type that you need. And so as far as like your Vapor application, the way it's set up, you have, like you said, your configure where you set up your routes or use a separate routes file, depending on how you want to do it. But then uh, you'll have controller set up, which is like basically a class, or do you typically have like routes 
um, where you hard code your your controller methods inside. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. <laughs> I like to use controllers because I can separate logic from the router to different implementations. So all the handler methods can go into the controller and you can uh, wire them up by using the router. You know what I mean? Okay. So in the controllers, you can handle the actual logic that you need for your apps. So for example, return the response, return the JSON response, render a leave file or or anything else that you you would use normally in a server-side Swift application. Okay. And the roots file will be only responsible for naming the roots and connecting the controllers. Got you. Many of you have probably heard about App Store optimization and how it can get you more downloads. There's a lot of demand for apps right now, so it's a really great time to give it a try, and it's easier than you think. The folks at AppFigures have an easy step-by-step guides and intuitive tools to do that, which many indie developers are using to get more downloads. The guys who run it are indie devs who had a need and created a tool. 11 years later, it's an all-in-one platform for developers who want to get more downloads and make more money with their apps. Try AppFigures for free. And if you like it, use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you to App Figures for supporting our program. So, like your controller might be something for uh, users, and you might have like some some method in there to create the user, and then some method for like login and things like that, or updating user information. Correct. Yes, um, for the iOS guys, I could only say that it's it's like a view controller, and the view is is just a JSON or leaf uh, template that you can render and yeah that's it <laughs> what so one of the biggest components of vapor and swift neo uh, is the idea of an event loop future i am really interested in asynchronous programming uh, i've got my talk um which will probably be out by the time this podcast episode is out uh, about a uh, programming swift asynchronously and We've talked about promises and futures and, and combine uh, on various episodes. But there's some big changes to the way event loop future works in Vapor 4 and Swift Neo 2, correct? Yes, Vapor 4 uses the futures and promises implementation directly from uh, Swift Neo. So things have changed a lot, especially if it comes to throwing methods, flat mapping, throwing methods that, that can be quite quite confusing for people who want to upgrade from Vapor 3. There is a dedicated documentation, especially focusing on the futures on the official Vapor site. So you should take a look at that because... And we'll post that in the notes for sure, yeah. Yeah, because uh, a lot has changed and you have to be extremely careful when you do the upgrade. Yeah. So the important thing about event loop futures or using futures and promises in Vapor is the idea that requests or any sort of network call is typically asynchronous. And so what Swift Neo does is like you have to return the futures rather than returning the actual values in order to take into account the asynchronicity of these requests. So like in your controller, each method has to return some sort of event loop future of the response. Or in some cases, you just want to return like an HTTP status. Um, 
but in all cases, they're, they're returning futures, correct? Yes, uh, something like that. In the low-level parts of Vapor, you always return a future. You always want to return a future since the whole server-side uh, application is a non-blocking application, so you don't want to block threads. And Neo organizes futures by event loops and event loop groups, so you have to use an event loop to create a new future from scratch. Okay, and I think that's really important. If people have used, it's it's definitely different. Um, I started diving into like uh, Max Howell's Promise Kit, and it's like the way he does it is really different from the way few like event loop futures are, and the way uh, Google might do it, or a lot of other Promise libraries do it. And so it's really interesting. Like just trying to wrap my head around how that stuff works. And then you throw in like combine, which is totally different. (laughs) Yeah, it is a different approach, but the core concepts are the same. So if you think an event loop as a Grand Central Dispatch queue and the future as a future from example from Promise Kit, then they both do the same, but in a different way. Right, right. So... The other thing I think, well, we both think is probably the biggest part about Vapor and specifically Vapor 4 and the upgrade is the way uh, Fluent works. Uh, Explain, first of all, what is Fluent uh, exactly and what does it do? So Fluent is a database abstraction driver with many database drivers already supported. The latest edition was MongoDB, but Fluent also supports MySQL, PostgreSQL, and SQLite, and many more. So you can use Fluent to query database records and to write migrations for your scheme. And How do you set up a model typically in Vapor 4 then? There's a model protocol that you have to implement and you can set up all the database fields through property wrappers. Uh, property wrappers are quite new in Swift, so it can be um, difficult to understand the core concept for some people, but essentially they are um, property delegates. So Vapor is using these kind of property delegates to uh, set up the name of the fields and do some additional magic under the hood during queries and various database requests. Just this morning, I had to, I'm creating a couple of new models in my database, and then I had to figure out how to do migration. So the purpose of something like migration, correct me if I'm wrong, is the situation where you have to like, do you always have to run a migration first of all, or like I know there were automatic migrations if you want to just create a table based on the default way it's set up in Vapor Four, correct? Uh, in Vapor Four, you always have to write a migration for your database scheme, so okay. there is no such thing that previously existed in Vapor Four, unfortunately. But there are some really good open source alternatives. People are experimenting uh, with this to create the exact same behavior, and I've seen some good repositories and on on the discord channel if you search for automatic migrations you will find a lot of good solution so yeah by default in vapor 4 you always have to write a schema migration for your models because you start with an empty database and you want to create the tables in a relational database 
And when you run the actual migration, Fluent will create an internal lookup table and store the already executed migrations there. So next time when you run the migrations, those uh, won't run again, but everything else will do. And these migrations will alter your database scheme. So they will create tables, updates, fields, things like that. So, uh, like, I had to do a manual migration because I have stuff like constraints that I have to set up. But I can do this all in Swift code, which is fantastic. There's only been a couple of times I had to run some custom Postgres thing in order to make sure that queries work. And then there's the idea, like, model middleware, which is a new concept because typically... When I was running Vapor 3, you could just override your on-delete or on-update if you want to do something. But in this case, you have to set up like middleware. In the same way you can set up middleware for requests, you can set up middleware for models to where like, oh, I need to make sure every time I create a new user, I email them, which is what I've been doing. That's something that I think a lot of people might need to keep track of correct um, is how they add... Uh, ways to track users or way to like track certain items when they want to like catch uh, a new model that's being created or a new item that's being created or updated. Correct. They use that model middleware uh, concept. Correct. Yes. With model middleware, you can, uh, you can listen for events happening with the database models and you can perform an action before every create or update or delete method. So that's, that's a really good thing to have a dedicated handler for all these lifecycle methods. I was following the same approach with my controllers. So yeah, it's a really great addition. Before we uh, finish our discussion on Fluent and ORMs and how that stuff works, um, there's a lot of new ways of doing authentication that is built around Fluent. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like stuff like basic authentication, you can now set up your models accordingly. Is that right? Fluent is giving you uh, some nice helpers. For example, if you need a session-based web authentication layer, Fluent already can provide you the necessary database uh, migration and table and session layer. So it is... Not like Fluent is giving you everything, but it it helps a lot when it comes to authentication. And also you can create your own uh, authenticators, which are basically responsible for authenticating user objects from an incoming request. Like you can write a request authenticator credentials to to authenticate users who fill out a login form. So... We've talked a lot about how to get your backend set up with Vapor 4 and how easy it is. How does somebody who's like an accomplished iOS developer, iPhone app developer, um, how do they architecture their app for backend Swift development while also working on front-end Swift development? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, the beauty of Vapor is that you can share some of your code with the iOS application. For example, you can share all the database models. Um, I mean, you there is a thing called content in Vapor, and you can return a content, and the encoder will encode that content type into a JSON object. So if you create a REST API and you share all those content objects, then the iOS client can use 
the exact same objects that the server will return. And you don't have to worry about type safety or anything like that because types will be always correct. So right. that's a huge advantage. Um, I was working with a TypeScript server lately and in, in Node.js, this is crazy. So you can you can return anything and you can create a new object with totally broken properties and return that and it will it will just work. But but this is also the beauty of JavaScript. It's <laughs> it's a completely dynamic language. On the other hand, Swift is statically typed, so two different words. We just had this discussion on our last episode with Chris Apps about like GraphQL and how GraphQL works so well in JavaScript because all the dynamic types, but now it's like the opposite problem. Uh, it sounds like when you're trying to share code in Swift between models, it's like at least you have, uh, when your types are set up, your types are set up and they're pretty rigid, which means that things will, you don't have to worry about unit testing that your types are valid. Exactly. You only have to update the shared library and you're good to go if you yeah. want to introduce a new property. Yeah, that's that's typically what I've been doing is like you set up some sort of model or a struct and make sure it's codable on the client side. And then on the server package, all I have to do is extend it with content and it works perfectly well on the server. And then you could share your types that way. Exactly. One of the things uh, I've really loved, uh, so recently I've mo- moved everything over to Swift packages. So I have like my watch app, 80, like 90%. Well, all the code is essentially in a Swift package. And then it's used as a dependency on my Vapor uh, app as well. And then I just have to use preprocessor directives or make sure like certain lines of code that aren't compatible with the server, like watch code or combine or things like that, or health kit uh, are excluded. And then what that's made allowed me to do is like unit testing becomes a lot easier because then I can just, I can test my code and then plug in different components. So that way they can work uh, in, in my tests that I don't necessarily have access to uh, because it's not on the watch. And then I don't have to test components like, I know HealthKit's going to work if it's going to work, but like Swift packages to me have become a big help as far as unit testing and CI um, are concerned and just being able to share a lot of that code with the server as well. Yeah, the package manager improved a lot during the last couple of months and Swift uh, 5.3 is coming with uh, resource support and you know, uh, embedded library support. Like you can ship your closed source library in a Swift package and you can also add assets to the package manager. It's it's a really great addition. And yeah, I, think I agree, it's, I agree. It's mostly wanted by the community. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, just is Swift 5.3, is that something that's going to come out with like Xcode 12? Or like, will that be out in June, I guess? We will see that in June. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I assume that's kind of their schedule. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'd be, be curious to see. Yeah, I could easily imagine that Apple will skip major release this year because of COVID and other things. And maybe they are going to only focus on fixing issues and bugs and make things better. That would be a great thing for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy. We have a 0.5 release and it's May, uh, you know, the 0.5 release is in beta. So it's like, who knows? Um, that seems like really late for, for another point release at this point. So I'm, 
pun intended. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how they're going to get like go from like thirteen five to fourteen point in in less than a month. I wouldn't mind if they skip the major release this year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So one of the things that folks have asked is like, how is the support for like backend Apple technology? Uh, let's take, for instance, uh, I know you had a whole chapter in your book about push notifications. How's the support for push notifications in Vapor? Yeah, uh, push notification support is great in Vapor. There are two dedicated packages that you can use. Uh, the first one is a low-level package, and the other one is some extensions for Vapor to extend the requests and many more with, with APNS support. And I think it's it's really convenient to send out push notifications from a Vapor-based backend server. Also, same thing applies to signing with Apple. With, with the new uh, JSON Web Token library, it's also a brand new thing in Vapor 4. You can validate tokens and implement signing with Apple with just a couple of lines of code. So that's a great addition. How about something I'm working on this morning, CloudKit? Uh, how's CloudKit support in Vapor? Anything? Nothing yet so far. Okay. Sounds like something I have to do. All right, I'll put that on my to-do list. Yeah, I think CloudKit is Apple's own backend thing, and they already released CloudKit.js, and you can use that and probably... That's it's enough for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a there is a web service that I'm playing around with, so I'm gonna start. I'm playing around with that because there's some stuff I want to download uh, onto my database from CloudKit. So, but I mean, the, to me, like majority of people, like you said, it's push notifications and sign into Apple. Like the fact that they support that is a big deal. Yeah, uh, I really wish that even more websites. Websites should add signing with Apple support because it's really convenient. I just place my finger on the touch ID and it works. And I'm, I mean, it's magical. It's really yeah. good to have. And with this new Vapor release, you can make your own signing with Apple implementation. And that's great. It's really good for Mac users and for iOS users too. You can use Face ID or Touch ID. It really doesn't matter. You don't have to fill out forms. You can you can make a decision what to share. It works anonymously if you want. It, the system can generate a fake email address for you that you can use. So it's really good. What? How would you make the argument to someone about why they should be using Vapor for their backend? What are like some good reasons that you think would convince somebody like a manager or CTO to start a new app? Using Vapor, I think that if you have an iOS app and you need a backend, then it's a huge advantage to share Swift code uh, with the backend side. Also, your iOS developers can become full stack developers by utilizing Vapor, which which is also a good thing, and they don't have to learn uh, some other language like GoLang or TypeScript, which are quite popular nowadays. And yeah, that that's the main benefit, I think. So if it comes to, it's not just the same language; it's the same IDE too. Like if you're already developing in Xcode, it's a big convenience. Yes, same language, same IDE. You can use Xcode as a debugger tool. That's that's a great thing to have. What 
other tools are there as far as like reporting or analyzing errors or traffic within uh, Vapor itself? My first exposure actually to server-side Swift was in Katura. Like that was the big emphasis. It seemed like with Katura was all the like an analysis and like traffics and errors and like all that kind of stuff. What's what do you think are some tools there that like managers or CTOs might be interested in order to like track how the server is doing and how its health is? Yeah, Vapor uses Swift Logger and the Swift metrics under the hood, and if you deploy to AWS, you can also use CloudWatch to see the metrics. Currently, there are not so many tools that that will help you providing a good data visualization about how your server performs. But I think this this is going to change in the near future. So basically, like Swift Logger and Swift Metrics gives you a lot of like at least the data part of it. It's just a matter of having some sort of visualization or yes, CSS yes. that's missing at this point. That's a good idea, actually. Maybe. <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe I will All create right. a product out of it. <laughs> I'll do the CloudKit API. You do the you do the metrics. Deal. Visualization. Last but not least, we can't end any conversation without talking about unit testing and CI. Like that's you said that's a big improvement uh with vapors being able to set that up and being able to do that pretty easily, like if you're doing using something like Travis or uh uh, GitHub Actions, which has become really popular. What are some recommendations or tips if you're going to get started with making sure that you're like actually doing CI with your Vapor app? Yeah, so first of all, write your unit tests. Not just because uh, other people tell this, not because I'm telling this, but we are talking about a server-side application <laughs> and it should be bulletproof. So having even just a few unit tests can help a lot by eliminating most of the bugs. So write your unit tests, that's for sure. You can use this new XCT Vapor framework to send requests to your application and check and validate the response, which is really handy. So this new framework allows you to write tests with just a couple of lines. And the only problem with it that it is not a declarative framework. For example, I was using SuperTest for uh, TypeScript, and that was way better. That's why I created a lightweight abstraction layer around the unit testing framework, so you can use my library code spec to write declarative unit tests. I think that's that's really handy. You should take a look if you haven't done this yet. What is your current host of choice as far as like signing up a Vapor app right now? I'm using AWS. Okay. My blog is hosted on an AC2 instance, but I'm working on running Vapor in a Docker container using ACR and ACS with uh, Fargate. So that, that's my current plan. And I'm going to cover this process, how to set up the cloud environment in my book as well. Awesome. Awesome. And then the other thing is, uh, yeah, I've been using uh, Heroku is like fairly easy to set up, especially if you're getting started. I found obviously they have like limitations on certain things, but they make it easier to do a lot of the basic stuff of run Linode, which is essentially like an EC2 instance. And I've had a lot of success with those two as well. 
yeah, if you just want to play around, you can use Heroku. That's that's really easy to start with. And there are also some nice deployment docs on the official Vapor website. Or if you don't know something, you can always go to the Discord server and ask for some help. The community is really helpful. Yeah, I agree. We'll have links to the Discord server, um, and then I have my deployment uh, documentation as well, which I'll put in the show notes. Anything else you wanted to talk about before we close out? I don't know. No, actually, I, I think we, we've covered pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah. And what is the name of your book, and where can people find it? Yeah, Practical Server Site Swift. Awesome. Uh, and where can people find you online, Tiber? Uh, they can find me on Twitter and they can read my blog. I think uh, we can place some links under the description. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great talking to you about uh, Vapor 4 and server-side Swift. Thank you very much for inviting me. People can find the podcast at empowerapps.show. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. Uh, my company is Bright Digit. Again, uh, if you could please fill out the survey uh, before our next episode, episode 50, I would really appreciate it. Link is in the show notes. And if you have any questions for me uh, that you'd like me to answer on our 50th episode, please let me know. Uh, you can reach me again on Twitter at Leo G. Dion, or if you want to email me, you can email me leo at brightdigit.com. Thanks again for joining us for this episode and I look forward to talking to you on our 50th episode next time. Bye-bye.